Welcome to the latest episode of Visual Mastery and today we are joined with Melanie Grant. I'm luxury editor on 1843 magazine which is the lifestyle sister publication to The Economist in London. Um, Melanie has been a journalist for over 20 years, working for Financial Times, the BBC, and as she said, The Economist 1843 magazine. So she specialises or has more of an interest within watches and jewellery and craftsmanship as well. So do you think you could tell me your first experience with luxury? What was the first item that you, you had or memory or... Well, that's interesting. I mean, the first serious thing I bought um, was a ring. And I went with my friend Tamara, who was getting a bracelet made. And my grandma had just died. And I was, my grandma was really close uh, to me. She was like one of my best friends. And I was devastated when she died. And um, I really wanted a piece of jewellery to sort of remind myself of her. So we went to go and see this, um, this jeweller in London. And there was this ring. And it was just it's like the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. And I just knew I had to have it, but I didn't have like diamond ring money at mm. the time. And I said to the designer, like, I just need to have that ring. And she said to me, you can pay on installments. And I was really quite scared because I knew I couldn't afford it. And she gave me a good price and I paid for it over a number of years. And it kind of changed my life. And she said to me when I bought it, that this ring will change your life. And I was like, mm, I'm not sure about that. And I think it kind of had this thing where it kind of transformed me. And I think luxury can be a process of transformation. And every time I wore it, I just felt, I felt so beautiful and I felt so confident. And I kind of felt that I, it was something I did for myself. Um, no one else had bought it for me. I bought it for myself. It really represented a bit of a milestone. And uh, it's one of my favorite pieces of jewelry I still have. And every time I wear it, I smile to myself because I just think, you know, that was probably the first time I really got into sort of a more serious type of luxury, which I probably couldn't afford at the time, mm -hmm. but which now I still love yeah. 10 years later. And that kind of helped form your sense of identity at the time, maybe. I don't know how old you are at the time, yeah. but did that kind of add towards your how you carried yourself and... Or, or not so much? Yeah, I think it did what I think jewellery can do in that it kind of sent out a signal that I I liked, you know, fairly serious, rare luxury. I mean, it was a one-off piece. And I think I didn't have a lot of jewellery at the time. And it really, it took me to a higher level of consumption. Uh, it, it raised the bar in terms of design for what I then appreciated as good good design um it definitely changed my outlook on on what luxury could be and how it emotionally affected me uh, every time I wore it every time I thought about it I just felt quite proud that I could afford to do that for myself having come from a council estate in London mm. um and never really being told when I was a child that I would be able to give myself something that beautiful <laughs> so no, no, like, nice, no, no, it is really, really nice because I think I don't know. Kind of growing up, I'm, I'm quite, I'm 24, but yeah. having aspiration and knowing that, I mean, a lot of the people I know who are really affluent, some of yeah. who I've met along my my journey, they've come from these beginnings that just seem worlds apart, and despite having access to amazing things, there's this 
deep sense of I maybe humility or a deep appreciation and uh, towards craftsmanship, whatever mm-hmm. that may be, whether it's somebody who loves cars or somebody who has a lot of houses or somebody who's interested in art, they just appreciate it in a way that despite the amount of money they have or the experiences they've had, they've really invested in it in more ways than just money. Yes, I don't think luxury is about money. I think we measure it in terms of monetary value because it's easy. But I think luxury is different for everyone. I mean, we were talking about this earlier. For some people, it's like time off. For other people, it's like a gold necklace. For some people, it's a piece of art. Some people, it's wine. You get to decide what it is for you. And what I don't like sometimes is that there's a snobbery where someone says, oh, it's a big diamond. You know, that's it's vulgar. Well, actually, you know, that's not up to somebody else. It's up to you to decide what is luxury. It's democratic in that sense. You don't have to, unlike art, you don't have to know a lot about it to consume it. You can just buy anything that you find beautiful and enjoy it. So I like the fact it's accessible, where some other types of craft aren't accessible. Um, I like the fact that you can aspire and you can work hard and you can buy yourself something, which means a lot to you. And for me, value when it comes to luxury is about craftsmanship and design. So I would pay just as much for a piece of plastic, which was crafted by somebody I admired, as I would for gold and diamonds. Mm -hmm. And I think jewellery is definitely going much more into the interesting materials territory where people just want a piece of somebody who's a genius designer more than they want the monetary value of a commercial piece of jewellery. So we're talking about the difference between collectors and consumers. Collectors collect because they believe in the authenticity of the designer and consumers consume um, because they want everyone else to know they've got money. And that's a very different thing. So luxury can be beyond function in that sense then? Definitely. I think luxury is about lots of things, identity, you know, representing where you've gone in life from where Mm. you've been um, representing something you know but you have been told can't be achieved that you know you have achieved it's it's lots of things at at a surface level um, it's something beyond where it's comfortable now so you know luxury has to hurt to be luxury as we were saying (laughs) if you could just buy it it wouldn't mean anything it's like buying a packet of crisps yeah but if you have to save for seven years and be educated by the designer as to what you're buying and understand the market and the history behind it, that's luxury. You have to be worthy to consume it properly, to, to, to collect it really. Um, and that takes time. So you shouldn't try and buy that thing too early. You've got to understand it before you can really, really collect it. So it's like a pe- like a, almost a bittersweet thing. It involves yeah. a pain and a journey so with anything as if you you have a project or even like a career or something like that it involves a journey you obtain that thing too soon or not soon enough it it has a delicate balance within that yeah you're not supposed to understand it at the beginning yeah I've bought things where the designer has said to me you won't get this now Mm. but in 10 years time you'll understand what this is I'm like I don't really like it but I trust this designer and in 10 years time I'm still wearing it and now I get it. Yeah. But you have to trust the person who made it because they mm. have spent their entire life 
that you're you're looking at their life's work in physical form. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to get into that, you have to trust them that you know their vision of you is beyond where you can see at this point. So it's almost like trusting somebody else's vision of you and what yeah. you can be. Yeah. So what we were speaking about earlier is that is luxury then in that sense a religion because it's 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 often linked so much to history and heritage where in the past people are so fixated on gold and temples and and things and I was saying that in terms of now now's version religion has more of a political kind of link is now our cars and our watches our new religion something that we aspire to that we that money can't put a price on on those things or I don't not. think it is religion I think it expresses um our desire with a fervent kind of religious approach sometimes mm. I mean religion is you know organized religion is about connection to a higher power and yeah. that isn't luxury mm-hmm. um but I think luxury can express um, a transformation as we said earlier and it can express a vision which is very emotional um, and sometimes some people can have an almost spiritual experience. I mean, <laughs> when I started um, writing about jewellery, um, Cartier asked me to go and write about an exhibition they had at the Grand Palais in Paris. Uh, in Paris. And I went there and I went into that auditorium, one person, and I came out someone else. I still can't really explain it, mm. but the beauty was so profound, the history the expression of kind of love and emotion that a lot of those pieces historically kind of connected to just, I had like a physical reaction and I came out and I just thought I need, I need to somehow find a way to write about these things Mm -hmm. so that they're artifacts of our time. They're beyond pretty jewels. They actually express who we are as humanity now. And that for me is why I write about luxury. It, it's beyond, you know it's beyond beauty in that sense it does have real meaning I think but you've got to take it beyond the surface level so when you were saying about it being an artifact how does that then link towards something like art how come they are so separate Mm. so something happened basically where art fine art like painting and sculpture was kind of separated from decorative art which are things like ceramics and um, jewellery and things that you kind of make and sort of applied arts. Decorative almost. Yeah. And so they were separated at one point. And and what happened, a a hierarchy evolved where fine arts went to the top, decorative arts went lower down. And I personally believe that anything can be art, anything. Art is, it could be a chair, it could be a thought. It could be something you've drawn. Banana, plastic. It could be anything. Um, and if it's applied art, you know, it, it's the intention. So if I create something with no intention whatsoever, I just ha- it has to come out of me, go into the world. That's art. The downside to luxury sometimes is the intention is made to, to be sold. And that is the difference. If you make a pot with no intention at all, I would say that's art, definitely. If you make it to be sold in Ikea, that is not. Mm. So it's about commerciality and about intention. If your intention is pure, then I think it's art. And only the artist can say. It's not for me to say, um, 
Grayson Perry, your pot is something else. It's up to him to say, this is art, this isn't art. Mm -hmm. And the trouble we have sometimes in jewellery is the jewellers say it can't be art, you know, because they've made it to sell it, to sell lots of it. And also, later down the line, things that were made in a certain capacity then are seen differently. So history often changes what, you know, our perception of things are. And the standard in which they're measured against as yeah. well. Because sometimes we just can't see what important things are at the time. Mm. And that goes doubly so for things like paintings, where at the time no one cared about them, thought they were nonsense, and 100 years later they sold for $200 million as a valuable art piece and put in a museum. The the jewellers or the jewel, the people that you've kind of come in contact with, mm. From your experience, do they they don't see themselves as artists then? Because that was some do. Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, I'm writing a book about this at the moment, and many jewelers who are at the top level do see themselves as artists. They produce very small one-off pieces. You know, they might produce 15, 30 pieces a year. Each piece is unique. You know, they have a collector. The way they work is as a, as a fine artist would work. Then you've got some jewellers who produce eight or 900 pieces a year. They sell them through um, department stores and they talk about product. Mm. You know, that's a different thing. So I think if you, if you make a very small number, each is rare and unique. Each is something that you probably couldn't make again or wouldn't make again. Mm. And you're selling it to someone who just wants a piece of you. I'd say that's art. Mm. So it's almost like a line between too much is almost premium and just the right amount would be luxury has to be rare yeah you know i mean artists produce series of things but it definitely has to be rare if it's a decorative art and that's so that's more something geared towards as you said maybe jewelry or something like that but when it comes to say cars or as we were saying before golf clubs and things like that that's where i'm almost lost in in I mean, I don't think a golf club can be art, if I'm honest. I mean, it can know. perform in a way that could... <laughs> because it's, it's creative to, to produce a function. This is where jewellery is on kind of on the um, on the fence a bit. So if something is made with a function in mind, like a watch, yeah. I would argue you could have artistry, but a watch isn't art because it's made to tell the time, mm -hmm. whereas art's just made to, to just exist. Um you know, a car is made to go somewhere. So, you know, it's very hard for that to be art. Yeah. Jewellery has got so many functions. You know, some people make jewellery, as we say, to be sold. Other people just make it because it, it's, it's a miniature sculpture and it's a very different thing. So the intention, again, is everything. Do you think that paying more should get you luxury? Well, this is the interesting thing. So as we said before, luxury has to hurt, has to probably cost... Mm. more than you maybe want it to cost but actually that's part of you know luxury is kind of a useless thing you don't need it yeah you're not gonna you're not gonna die if you don't have it it's not food it's not clothes you know clothing you do need to survive but it's the essence of beauty um and from when we came out of the caves we were putting feathers in our hair mm. stringing very beautiful pebbles around our neck like we have something in us as, as a human race where we idolise and fantasise beauty. Mm -hmm. It's in our mating ritual. It's, it's in everything that we do beyond the bare function of survival. 
I think luxury taps into that. It's a much more sophisticated version of the feathers in our hair. And it kind of gives us joy. Where it can go a bit wrong is when you're trapped in a kind of spending too much and you get a bit obsessed with it Mm. and you're maybe going beyond your means, which can happen, as we know, with lots of shopping. Um, You know, if you've got a bit of a fetish for shoes or bags or whatever it is, it can get out of control and that is tricky. Um, But saving up for something after working for 10 years at, you know, getting to a goal and like hitting that and buying yourself something which it totally just makes you happy every time you see it. I think that's a good thing. As you were saying about once you've got a taste of it, it's hard to go back. So I suppose that's almost a recommendation of how for someone like me, as I get older, when I'm entering into luxury, I would take that into account. But for somebody who maybe has more or once you have that, or maybe even if you've been born into that, how can you, does that still hold like truth in in that sense? Yeah, I think whatever you're used to, you know, if you're born into money and, you know, going to the Bahamas is what you do just generally, then you'll find some out of the way difficult thing to do, which is a luxury for you. Um, The richest people I know, their luxury is the most simple thing in the world. It's often time. Time, I think, is the ultimate luxury. Mm. If you get good at anything, you've got less and less and less time. For me, the biggest luxury is to have an hour to do nothing, to not speak to anyone, to not check any emails, nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, 20 years ago, the biggest luxury would have been probably go to Morrison's, not Morrison's, sorry, Selfridges or somewhere and buy anything I wanted. You know, it's like your luxury changes as you progress. Mm. And the more successful you become, the more, the simpler it becomes because you can buy the stuff that you want. And when you can buy it, it's not really a luxury anymore. It's just, just a mirage. Yeah, isn't it's just it? stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone wants something. And if you're really into an area, then there's always some rare, difficult thing that you can't get. But in order for it to be a luxury, it has to be hard to attain. That's the ba- that's basically the basic rule. So when it when we look at say East and West and what their kind of attitudes towards luxury is from your uh, experience in traveling to those diff- those places, have you kind of noticed our definitions and recognition of luxury becoming more similar or just still being quite different or is that harder to to I think it's a very it's a lot you know it's quite a deep question I mean there's an eastern philosophy which takes pleasure in simplicity Mm -hmm. um traditionally the west has loved ornamentation um but then you know India loves ornamentation and that's in the east so it's You've got to go sort of country and culture by culture. Yeah. Um, I would say that often in history, we've really enjoyed very ornate, complicated, shiny things. And we've associated them with the divine. So the Maharajas were so bedecked in jewellery that they were considered to be a conduit to, to God. Um, If you were a very, very poor person, seeing this person, you know, somebody in gold on an elephant was like a vision. Yeah. So you can see why people connected it to religion, because it it was breathtaking um, and it was a spectacle. And in the East, you know, it's a a slightly different thing. Say India has the biggest love affair of jewellery, I think, of any culture. You know, that's in the deepest part of of their culture. 
Um, and it's who they are. You know, Japan, for example, is very different. Like it's very, very small, very, very high quality jewels. I talk about jewelry because it's my specialist subject, but every culture approaches it slightly differently. But there's a there's a luxury version in every culture. China, with its enormous wealth now, you know, people are ch- in luxury. People are chasing China now as, as a place. You know, because they have rediscovered a love of luxury. Now they're buying a lot, but they're getting very sophisticated in very short time. They're now collecting at a very high level in terms mm-hmm. of art and luxury. People now think they can sort of give the Chinese some shiny thing and that would be enough. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. they're serious collectors. So the one thing you can't do is judge a book by its cover. You can't look at someone and know what, know where they are on the journey. Mm-hmm. You can't tell by what they're wearing or who you think they are. Everyone is just acquiring knowledge. And I think the biggest compliment you can pay to a designer or an artist is to know their work before you buy it. Know what you're buying. Mm. And don't buy too much of it. You know, really allow yourself to enjoy one thing for some time. You know, even if you've got the money to pair your Rothko with your curtains, you know, don't do it. Like, have one great painting. Be selective in that process. And take time. Take 10 years to understand that before you move on to something else. Mm. Well, that's taught me because I think coming into this, I thought that luxury was something that was internationally recognised. Obviously, we have those brands like Louis Vuitton and yeah. Chanel where they've kind of crafted luxury because they are producing things like they make their own watches, which is why it's luxury yeah. as opposed to a watch that would maybe charge, charge the same price but is outsourcing. I thought luxury was something that had to be internationally recognised in order for it to be luxury. But I think, yeah, there are completely different layers to, you know, Chanel, Louis Vuitton, all those brands you mentioned have completely different levels. You know, you can go in and you can spend 50 pounds on a key ring mm. and anyone can do that. And I like that about I, that. I like that anyone can walk in and buy that key ring or you can go to the very highest level and they'll make you a bespoke trunk or a bespoke jewel, which will cost you millions of pounds that you have to wait five years for. What I love, the beauty of, the mass luxury is that it's for everyone. And as you, you know, everyone I know who owns something from a big brand also then starts to collect smaller, independent, obscure designers. There shouldn't be any snobbery. You should have whatever makes you happy. Um, and that sometimes annoys me where people say, well, if you've got this Louis Vuitton purse, you're, you're an idiot. Well, no, if that makes you happy, buy it. Mm-hmm. You know, that means a lot to you and that's good. As long as it means something, that's the point. Yeah. I love that. That's why we're really happy about it. So let me just ask you some statements that maybe you can answer, if you can, true or false. Um, your luxury is not my luxury. True. Luxury is and should be universally recognised. Well, that's tricky. Oh, can I say I don't know to that one? I mean, <laughs> I don't think anyone has to recognise it for it to be legitimate. So no, I'd say no to that one. From the eyes of the uh, the brand or company or designer, luxury is a strategy and not a thing. Well, luxury is an idea. Okay. I would say. I mean, you have a business strategy to sell luxury, but again, it's an emotionally complicated relationship with a physical thing or an experience mm-hmm. which you can't necessarily explain but you know you have to have. Psychological. Yes. Okay. 
because you're on visual mastery, that name is quite, I mean, it has different meanings for every person. When I've spoken to the artists who have come on to, to the podcast, what does the term visual mastery mean to you in the sense of just hearing it or if you've kind of come to some sort of conclusion, what does that say to you? Well, I have spent my entire career interested in, in master craftsmen or women, um, people who reach such a level um, of intensity within their chosen field. They've kind of dedicated their lives to mastering one or two elements of the artistic and artistic practice. I think that becomes an almost spiritual experience when you hold something in your hand which has taken someone 10 years of their life to produce, you know, no one can then say that that isn't an important thing. So, yeah, I think it's visual mastery for me is the visual representation of something which is masterfully crafted. It's beautiful. Thanks. Oh, wow. That was great. I think that was a, a lovely way to end this episode. But um, would you like to add anything? Well, first of all, I'd like to say, don't feel guilty about loving luxury. Mm. We are in the West and it's kind of, it goes hand in hand, really, with consumerist culture. Um, And we are encouraged to buy masses and masses of things because that's the culture we're in. But actually, you know, resist the trends of what you're supposed to buy and listen to yourself and figure out, you know, there's something I want, which I've waited 10 years to own, which I'll probably wait another 10 years to ever actually buy if I ever buy it. But I just enjoy thinking about it. You don't sometimes have to own it to really love it. You can just admire it. You can go and visit it in the shop. Like you don't have to bankrupt yourself to own it. Sometimes you can just be a fan of it. So don't feel guilty about loving luxury and loving beauty. And don't feel like it's a vacuous thing. It is part of what makes us human and I think it's a beautiful thing. I think it's endearing because if when I've met somebody, say two people own the same ring or something, I'm endeared by the person who can tell me about it. To me, that yeah. represents luxury. This person's knowledgeable. This person, you know, impressed by all they know about it, as opposed to someone yeah. who's seen it as a luxury and just bought it and says, well, I have it. That to me is the difference between the value of of, of why I would maybe get something I'd really want to know about it as opposed to just have it. Yeah, it's about meaning. Mm, you know, it you represents, part, as we said, a time in your life, a key moment. You know, it's memory. You know, it's re- it's remembering somebody who died who was close to you. It tends to, it, it can be like a memorial, but in a nice way, um, it can really hold something special in that small idea of what luxury is. So, yeah, I see it in a really positive way. If it's expensive, then we often just want it more. Yeah. For everyone, anyone who wants to follow Melanie, because she posts the most gorgeous, amazing um, things that she encounters daily, and the captions are really beautiful. The, the way she describe no, they are. The way you describe them, it makes it, it's really nice just to, to watch in the morning. I see some, a ring and I'm like, can't believe it so um what is your instagram handle for anyone who wants to follow it's melanie c grant okay lovely thank you very much thanks for having me